Shalom to everyone. This is Rabbi Tama Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing you Parashah number three, Lech Lecha, which means get yourself out. This is Bereshit, Genesis 12, 1 through 17, 27 with commentary. The story of Abraham. Most individuals who are or were Christians prior to being called out by the Ruach to Messianic Judaism remember learning about Father Abraham, of whom even Christians claim ancestry. There are cute little songs about him and plays addressing the life of Abraham and Sarah, but very little, if any, of the true meaning of the story was taught for a couple of reasons. The first is that most folks who have come out of Christianity never hear the true story from the Hebrew, and few are told that Abraham was neither a Jew nor Christian. He was the first to cross over from an idol-worshipping society to a man who was called out to follow the one true God, the God of Israel. Christian clergy typically know little about Hebrew language, customs, and the fact that Yahweh Yeshua, then as now, expects those who call themselves true believers to follow his commands and statutes. Even Abram, later named Avraham, which means father of many nations, was commanded to keep the covenant God made with him. Although many Christians claim Abraham as their ancestor, the Christian doctrine departs significantly from the way Abraham lived his life. The story of Abraham is one in which we see the first example of a man actively searching for God. We're not given privilege on exactly what brought him to the point of searching for God, as he was brought up in Ur in Mesopotamia, the son of Terach who was sold idols in the province of Mesopotamia. But being surrounded by idolatry, the life of Abraham provides a perfect situation for us to see how we are to respond to a similar situation in our time. God preordained that Abraham and Sarah's lives would serve as an example to the rest of the world of how to respond to God even when we can't physically see him and how to deal with conflict, fear, and even death. First, let us take a look at some of Abraham's trials and see how we can glean strength, knowledge, and wisdom from the interaction between him and God. The first trial mentioned in scripture is in the first passage of our Padashah. The command that Abraham put his family and his past behind him and follow God's directions to a new land. Now just try and imagine how you would feel if this happened to you. A test from God is always one that forces an individual to choose between God's will, his Torah, his instructions, and his own human nature or understanding of what is right. This is the crux of the teaching, overcoming human nature, fears, selfishness, self-will in submission to God, even when we cannot see the road ahead to win the prize. It was a supreme test of Abraham's faith and trust to leave his homeland and his father and eventually offer his son Isaac, who was chosen by God, as the son of promise against all human logic before God provided a suitable offering in the Lamb. That's in chapter 22. Why did God put Abraham through the multiple trials described in this parasha? These trials and Abraham's response, along with the interaction between him and God, shows the world how we are to react and obey God. The extreme pressures associated with these trials illustrates the fact that we can overcome and can be victorious with God's help. Trials and tribulations that are presented to us also offer the opportunity to glorify God and teach us more about our deepest selves. God will never impose or allow any trials that we cannot overcome. Making the right choices enables us to ascend another rung on the ladder towards a closer relationship with our God.
We will ultimately be rewarded for what we actually did and not just good intentions that never came to fruition. This process is definitely not easy, but God knows what we can handle. The challenge is for us to learn that we can handle anything with God's help and not worry about our perceived limitations. It's never easy to pull up roots suddenly, especially when you don't know where you're going. We see some of the struggles of many who are going through this today. Ukrainians displaced in a war situation, folks who live in a large condominium complex in South Florida. The first one where 98 people died and the one that is unstable at this current time had two hours to move their belongings out and find another place to live due to the dangerous condition of their building. But add to the difficulty for Abraham and Sarah, as they journeyed to Canaan, they would always be separate from the surrounding society. This is another lesson for us. We must resist the temptation to become comfortable with what we see around us, an easy, non-accountability, pagan lifestyle such as Lot chose to follow. The word used to depict the separateness of Abraham is Ivory, meaning from the other side. This is where he's called Hebrew, Ivory. Male is Ivory, female is Ivriah. This literally means he came from the other side of the Euphrates, but on a deeper level of understanding, he was on one side of the morality and spirituality, and the rest of society was on the other. People who strive to follow God's Torah must be ready to be isolated, ostracized, and shunned. This is a progressive process that will only get worse until Yeshua returns. Human nature dictates doing whatever it takes to be popular, including assimilation, compromise, and participation in behaviors we know to be against God. Abraham and Sarah were given the challenge to go into the world, but to remain separate from it just as we are today. Note at this point, Abraham was still known as Abram, and Sarah was known as Sarai. God changed their names to include their spiritual change and his presence in their lives. There's often a question about Abraham's level of spirituality when it would appear that he lied about his relationship to Sarah when they reached Egypt. Recall that Abraham told that Pharaoh that, that told the Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister rather than his wife, so that, quote, it will go well with me for your sake, and so that I will stay alive because of you, unquote. Looking back on Sarah's genealogy and the rabbinic literature, such as the Talmud, we find that Sarah was identified with Iska, daughter of Abraham's deceased brother Haran, so that Sarah would turn out to be the niece of Abraham and the sister of Lot and Milcah. In other literature, Tarak is said to be Sarah's father also, making her Abraham's sister. Whatever the actual relationship to Abraham, there's still debate about whether his faith wavered and if he placed Sarah in a possible harm's way. God's intervention in the matter provides us comforting reassurance that even though we quote-unquote mess up and try to solve problems with our finite understanding, God is in charge and will intervene for his glory and our ultimate benefit, no matter the perceived outcome. This example also illustrates that our spiritual growth is a process for every human, no matter their status. We have not arrived and will not finish the race until our physical existence ends and our soul returns to God for its ultimate disposition at the end of the age and resurrection. The relationship between Abraham and Lot provides an illustration of how we are to deal with selfishness and greed on the part of others. Lot was a selfish man and ultimately chose to assimilate with the society in Saddam. 
His wealth and lust for more brought out the worst in him, as it does many people. There was arguing among the shepherds of Abraham and Lot about which area of pasture land was best. Abraham wanted peace about the matter and understood that the only way this could be achieved was to separate. Characteristic of Abraham's hospitable nature, he allowed Lot to choose first which land he wanted. As God decreed that true believers, that is Israel, are to remain a separate people from pagan societies, we note the separation between Abraham and Lot, who assumed a less spiritual status as he became more assimilated into the pagan city and lifestyle. Although we live in the world to set the example of how we are to relate to God and man, we are not to assimilate into anti-Torah environments as did Lot, becoming of the world. Chapter 14 provides another lesson for us today. The war of the kings in the region provide the backdrop for Abraham's humble nature and his faith and trust in God for the sake of his nephew Lot, even though Lot was selfish and disrespectful. When Abraham heard Lot was taken captive, he mobilized his trained men, greatly outnumbered as they were, to save Lot. He recovered the goods that had been taken, but not the spoils to which he was entitled. However, this he said to the king of Saddam, I will not take so much as a thread or sandal thong of anything that is yours, so that you won't be able to say, I made Avram rich. I will take only what my troops have eaten and the share of the spoil belonging to the men who came with me. Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them have their share. Therefore Abraham demonstrated his integrity by refusing personal gain and showing that he was only interested in saving Lot and not depriving others of their entitlements. Reflect for a moment on how employee-employer relationships could improve. If employers had this attitude, and employees had the devotion and loyalty of Abraham's troops. Finally, we see how Abraham established the system of tithing, later commanded by God of all of our first fruits in 14, 18 through 20. Mechizedek, king of Shalem, Salem, Jerusalem, alludes to Yeshua as the Kohen of El Elyon, God Most High. In Genesis chapter 17, we learn of the spiritual and physical conflict that will last until Yeshua returns. This is the conflict between good and evil, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael is the progenitor of the Arab people. The angel of Adonai said to Hagar, who was the Egyptian maidservant of him, Yishmael, God pays attention, because Adonai has paid attention to your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, living his life at odds with his kinsmen. This is the issue between the Israelis and Arabs today. The Arabs believe Ishmael was the son of promise, in direct contradiction to God's own words in chapter 17. Just as Abraham could not establish peace between him and Lot, peace between the Arabs and Israel will not become a reality until Yeshua returns. That's in Ezekiel 35, 6 and Revelation 3, 7 through 22. Edom, the nation descended from Ishmael, will be annihilated and destroyed. Two other tests given Abraham not covered in the Padishah are the offering of Isaac and the death of his beloved Sarah. Abraham's response to these ultimate tests as a continuation and of Abraham's spiritual journey will be covered next week, providing us the example of how we may overcome such significant tests of our faith and trust in Yahweh Yeshua. Haftarah.
comes out of Isaiah 40, 27 through 41, 16. Abraham was called out of his familiar worldly surroundings on a path of spiritual growth to an ultimate destination in the land God showed him. This Haftarah continues this theme, encouraging true believers to maintain optimism in the midst of trials and battles, exile and persecution. This response to difficulties is in direct contrast to our typical response to such maladies. That is, continuing in anti-Torah behaviors and encouraging others to participate just as we see today with the incessant push to make people accept behaviors completely contrary to God's Torah, which include homosexuality, secular humanistic teaching, pagan idol worship in the form of pagan traditions and celebrations such as Easter and Christmas. Israel, true believers, whether Jew or Gentile, are to ignore these promptings with the confidence that God will triumph. Although true believers defined by Yeshua himself in Romans 1 through 3, John chapter 14, and Revelation remain the minority and may seem irrelevant, God assures victory over our enemies in the end. Isaiah speaks to Judah and Israel, admonishing them for their doubt in God's infinite strength, unknowable understanding, power, and promises to his people that those who place their hope in Adonai will be renewed, strengthened, and invigorated. He reminds them that God has chosen them to serve him and has taken them from the ends of the earth, just as he did Abraham. God's people need not be afraid or distressed, because our God is ever-present to protect and strengthen us, to lead us to victory, and destroy our enemies, the enemies of God. We are reminded that he is the God of Israel, our Redeemer. Finally, the Brit shows out of Galatians chapter 3, and it says, Brothers, let me make an analogy from everyday life. When someone swears an oath, no one else can set it aside or add to it. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his seed, singular. It does not say, and to seeds, plural, as if there were many. On the contrary, it speaks of one, and to your seed. And this one is the Messiah. Here's what I'm saying. The legal part of the Torah, which came into being 430 years later, does not nullify an oath sworn by God so as to abolish the promise. For as the inheritance comes from the legal part of the Torah, it no longer comes from a promise, but God gave it to Abraham through a promise. The above narrative is a small excerpt from a more extensive teaching by Shaul, that's Paul, to the Messianic community in Galatia about the need for the laws of the Torah and the conceptual framework surrounding those laws, that is, that the laws were not abrogated through Yeshua's sacrifice. Past sins were forgiven. This is found clearly in Romans 3.25 and 2 Peter 1.9. And the imputed sin we were all destined to spiritually die for through Adam's, Adam's disobedience to God's command concerning the forbidden fruit. This did not and does not erase all future sins once we are reconciled to God through acceptance of Yeshua as God and his sacrifice, his kippur, the covering, for this universal sin. If we're to be considered part of Abraham's seed, by default we are to accept the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and follow his laws, regulations, and statutes. Shaul is telling the Galatians that legalistic observance of God's Torah is only half of the process of salvation. Galatians 3, 7, and 8 states, Be assured then that is those who live by trusting and being faithful who are really children of Abraham, also the Tanakh, foreseeing that God would consider the Gentiles righteous when they live 
by trusting and being faithful, Tovagoyim, that's the nations, will be blessed. So then, those who rely on trusting and being faithful, that is, becoming reconciled to God through Yeshua's sacrifice and carrying the God's, God's laws, the, the commands of Hashem, commands of God, this is a duality that cannot be separated. This duality of trusting and being faithful means the true believer carries this testimony of Yeshua and guards the commands of Hashem, following the legalistic aspect of God's Torah out of love. It is obedience out of love and not by rote. This is the sevenfold witness found in the book of Revelation defining a true believer. And there is no other way. Shalom. If you have any questions about this, uh, this teaching, you can go to our website at rabdavis.org and click on the link to ask the rabbi, and I'll be happy to entertain any questions, comments, or suggestions for further teaching. Thank you.